So I had to switch gears a little bit. It was late on Thursday when I finally made that decision, looking at the forecast and saying, eh, it's probably going to be a little messy. Don't know if we're going to have church. Don't know if people are going to be able to make it. So late Thursday, after watching the forecast, I hit the pause button on our Acts sermon series and said, all right, God, what am I going to preach on? And the Lord is gracious and kind, and he reminded me that I had actually started to put together a sermon that I was originally going to preach last week, but then he kind of nudged me in a different direction. But gee golly, that sermon would be really good for the first Sunday of a new year. And so I'm thankful that God knows what he's doing. He orchestrates these things so well. And so we're ready to rock today. If you have your Bibles, can you go ahead and get them open to Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews 12. We're going to read one verse from here and spring from there. It says, Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race Marked out for us. So, in this verse, the writer of Hebrews provides a number of instructions of things that he is telling us, or she, you never know, right? That's, there's different theories on the writer of Hebrews, different things that we should do. And we are instructed that we are to run the race that is marked out for us. And because we are called to run a race, we should also throw off anything that would hinder us in running that race. The writer also draws attention to the many people who have come before us who have run their race. And so there are many who have come before us. They have preceded us. The author points to them and says they have run their race well. Now it is time for you to run your race well. So in a similar manner that you may have a favorite athlete when you grew up. Anybody here, you just had a favorite athlete Right? And you would look to that athlete and they would provide the inspiration for you to get better at your sport. If you're older like me, and I know some of you are like, we're even older, you may remember in the 80s, I want to be like Mike. Right? Anybody remember that? The 1980s, everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan. I want to be like Mike. People would look at him and it would provide inspiration to them to be the best that they could be in the sport of basketball. In this same sort of way, what the author is saying is we can look to those who have preceded us in the Christian walk and we can find inspiration and motivation based on what they have done and how they have lived their lives. We can be motivated to want to do great things through our lives because we can see the incredible things that God has done through them. And so he points us to these people of the past, and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, if you're reading this, it is pointing you to the preceding chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. And that is often referred to as the faith chapter, or perhaps the hall of witnesses. The entire chapter of Hebrews 11 is dedicated to the topic of faith. If you read that chapter, you'll see that the author provides a quick definition of what faith is, and then they simply move into example after example of great things that have been accomplished through faith. Now, it is often referred to as the Hall of Witnesses 
because it contains examples of God's people who lived in such a way that their life and their legacy serves as a witness to what can be accomplished for him through a life of faith. And you can read about many of the people that the author writes here in the rest of the word of God. You can read stories in the word of God about people like Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, various judges, and many others. These are all people who accomplished great things for God. But the incredible thing to pull out here is that they didn't accomplish great things for God because they were some sort of superhero or they were some sort of perfect person but because they lived a life of faith. They walked in faith. So 21 times in Hebrews chapter 11, it proclaims by faith, and then it lists what someone in the Bible was able to accomplish because of it. Now we've talked about faith in here a number of times. Faith is putting our belief into action. Faith and belief are not the same thing. Belief forms the foundation for faith, but faith is when we believe something and then we believe it so much that we actually step out in faith to see that thing done. And so what this verse is saying is it's saying, look back at all of these people and see the incredible things that they have been able to accomplish because they simply believed God and what he said, and then they stepped out in faith to see it done. See, this is a great reminder for all of us this morning, every single one of us, that we can accomplish amazing things for God's kingdom if we are a people who believe God at his word and then we step out in it. Faith is how the heroes of old made an impact and faith is how we today can make an impact for Christ in this world. And so the writer of Hebrews says, this witness to what faith can accomplish should provide us with the inspiration to also live a life of faith and to do whatever we need to do to also make an impact for Christ through our lives. So that we, one day when we pass from this earth, can also see our names added to this hall of witnesses to the life of faith. Not actually added in the Bible, but our names can be added to that hall of witnesses of those who have come and served Christ and given their life for him And have seen incredible things done because they lived a life of faith. And so now the verse turns and it begins to tell us how we can also begin to live this way. And it tells us that we should throw off anything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. See, I can stand here today and tell you that God has amazing things for your life. Whether you are the youngest in this room or you are the oldest in this room, God is not done with you yet. There are awesome, incredible things that he wants to accomplish in and through your life. He is not done with you yet. He has great things, and so because he has great things, we should walk very carefully, making sure that we don't allow anything in our lives that would keep us from what he has for us. See, free will goes beyond just the decision we make to follow Christ and receive salvation. It extends throughout all of our lives. And we often don't think about it as much that way. You hear plenty of teaching around free will and our ability to accept Christ, to receive salvation and receive him into our lives. But we must recognize that we have free will throughout the rest of it. We get to make decisions here on how we are going to live our lives. 
Christ has amazing plans for our lives, things he wants to accomplish through them, but ultimately we will all decide whether or not we say yes to what he has for us and we fully walk in all of those things. There's a verse in the Bible that is absolutely terrifying when you think about it. It's talking about the Pharisees, and it says they rejected the will of God for their lives. That's a sobering verse when you think about it, that God can have all of these things that he wants to do in and through our lives, and we can simply say, no, I don't want to participate in that. I don't want to be a part of that. We can reject the will of God for our lives. That's a sobering verse when you really think about it. And so we know that it's God's grace that wants to come in and he wants to do things in our lives, but we ultimately will decide whether or not we say yes and we allow Christ to work in and through us. So while it is his grace that accomplishes these things in us, it's our yes to him that allows for it. We are called to say yes to his plans and then live our lives accordingly. We are co-workers with Christ. And so you can see how this plays out in 1 Corinthians 15.10. And here it's the Apostle Paul, and he writes this, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So we recognize today that it is God's power, his very grace working in and through us. But notice here that Paul also says, I worked harder than all of them. In other words, Paul said yes to what God desired to do in his life, and he lived in a way that God could use him in such a powerful manner. See, the extent through which God's, through which God's power and grace will be shown in our lives is in direct proportion to our willingness to give ourselves to him and what he desires to accomplish. See, if we give ourselves to the work of Christ, then his grace will empower us to live meaningful and impactful lives. What I want us all to recognize this morning, right, is that the Christian life is not meant to be an easy street. It's meant to be an impactful street. God's will for our lives is not that we would just live this easy, carefree life where there's no problems and everything is just easy. His desire for your life is that you would live a life of impact and meaning and purpose and something that makes an impact for all of eternity, Now we have the promise of his presence and his joy and his grace and his mercy through all of those things, but it's not just an easy street. It's meant to be an impactful one. We're called to make an impact for Christ in his kingdom. And because we want to make that maximum impact, we are called, like it tells us in Ephesians 5, to be careful how we live and to live wisely, to watch how we live to ensure we are positioned for all that Christ has for us. And so as such, because of all of these things, the writer of Hebrews tells us to throw off anything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, this is an interesting verse. And notice that there are two distinct things that are called out. He calls out things that hinder and sin that entangles. And so let's start with the latter one there. Let's consider the sin that entangles first. Sin is destructive. There's no other way to put it. Sin is destructive. Here, the picture of sin is something that entangles a person. And so with the later reference in this verse to running a race, the picture we are shown here is that sin would be like tying your shoes together and then tying ropes around your legs 
and then going out and trying to run a marathon. That's the picture that they're drawing here, that we are called to run a race, and sin in the life of a believer, if it's allowed to be there, is like tying ropes around your legs. It's entangling you, and it's going to make it so much more difficult to run that race. But this verse contains such great news, and it is the good news that's at the essence of the gospel, is that we have been set free from sin, and because we have been set free, we can throw it off. Right, recognize that in this verse. That's an amazingly powerful thing that this verse says, throw it off. In other words, we have been given the power and the ability in Christ to throw sin off that we don't have to walk in it. And this picture of throwing off sin, I believe, is expounded so clearly in Romans chapter 6, which I believe is truly one of the most powerful chapters in all of the Bible. Now, I know I say my favorite verse and my favorite chapter of the Bible and most powerful part of the Bible all the time because I love it all, but I truly do believe Romans 6 is one of the most powerful chapters in all of the Bible. See, in Romans 6, you will read time and time again that we, as born-again believers, are dead to sin in the power of the fallen nature we were born with. It tells us that we have died to sin and that we've been raised with Christ. It tells us that sin will no longer be our master. It tells us we are free from it. And though we were once slaves to sin in Christ, we are now slaves to righteousness. Think about that. Once we were slaves to sin, we are now slaves to righteousness. In other words, it's now in our nature to want to do righteous things. It's no longer in our nature to want to do those things that are wrong. Our nature has been changed, and we are now bound up, and our nature desires what is right. Desires what is right. And so because Christ has freed us from the power of sin, in him we can throw it off, and we don't need to live in it. See, the question is this. Can a believer sin? Absolutely. Do they have to? No. Don't ever listen to a preacher that stands up in a pulpit and tells you that it's a foregone conclusion that a believer must sin. Because the Bible tells us time and time and time again that we have been set free from sin. So can we sin? Absolutely. Do we have to? No. So that naturally leads to the question then, why do they, why do we sometimes fall short? Why are there believers who get so caught up in sin? We'll recognize this morning that the enemy didn't just call it a day when you accepted Christ. When a person accepts Christ, the enemy's not just like, well, done with them. I guess they go do their thing. The enemy does not just call it a day when we receive Christ. See, there is a voice that isn't always ours, and there will always be two trees in the garden from which we can choose to eat, a tree of life and a tree of death. So what we said earlier, we still have free will. In and throughout the rest of our lives, there are always two trees in the garden from which we can eat. The tree of life that the Lord is calling us to and the tree of death that comes from the voice of an enemy. Many believers have not been properly instructed to know that they are truly free from sin. And instead, they find themselves listening to the voice of the enemy much like Adam and Eve telling them to eat from the wrong tree, leading them to old sinful patterns. See, this verse is powerful, though, because it says throw it off, 
meaning through Christ, we have the ability to throw it off, to not walk in it. When the Bible says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed, it actually means you're free. It's not just like a pep talk that you're giving to yourself. It actually means that we have been set free from Christ, that in him we have freedom. So the question then becomes, well, how do we throw it off? Maybe you're here today and there's a sin issue that you've struggled with. How do we throw it off? It's very simple. We become Christ conscious and not sin conscious. First, you need to understand that we are actually free and walking in that freedom comes not from a focus on sin, but a focus on the one who has set us free from the sin. It's from knowing we are free. It's proclaiming it over our lives and getting closer to the voice of Christ, which will drown out the voice that tries to get us to eat from the wrong tree. See, which voice are you hearing most clearly in your life? It's probably the one that you're feeding in the most, right? If we turn our focus and our attention to Christ, if we are feeding on him, if we are drawing into worship, if we are feeding our lives with the word and digging into who he is, you will find that that voice becomes so much louder in your life and the voice of the enemy becomes softer and quieter. So we're told to just cast off that sin. This morning, if there's anything in your life that's just kind of got you bound up, this is a great morning to say, through Christ, I am free and I'm casting that thing off of my life once and for all. But there's also a bit more that's called out here. And what I find very interesting in this verse is that in addition to telling us to throw off sin that entangles, it also calls out separately anything that hinders And so what this means is that there could be things in our life that are not sin, and yet they can hinder us from running the race that God has called us to. So the picture here would be like trying to run a marathon with a 25-pound weighted vest. It may not be impossible to complete the marathon, but it's going to hinder you greatly in your efforts. And so what we are called to do here with this part is to take stock and see Is there anything else in my life that I've allowed to become a hindrance? Remember, we aren't talking about sin here. That was its own category. We're not talking about sin. So these could be things that are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but they've taken a place in our life that's hindering us in our walk with Christ. They're hindering us. They're holding us back. So essentially, it would be anything that tries to take first place and priority in our lives above our relationship with God. Now, I think this verse, and the writer of Hebrews could have never even fathomed it, but this verse has such profound insight for the crazy, busy, fast-paced world in which we live that is full of distractions like the ancient world could have never imagined. See, the enemy may not get you to be able to fall into sin patterns, but he'd be more than happy to simply get you distracted. See, one quick example. How many people here, you've ever gotten your phone out to check something really quick and many hours later came up to breathe after checking the news, sending some texts, checking the weather, checking some emails, scrolling through Facebook, checking the weather again, checking your banking account, looking at pictures of your family, doing some quick shopping, listening to some music, playing on your favorite app, and somehow watching videos of puppies and kittens on YouTube. Anybody want to confess? Come on. All been there, right? It's like, oh, I got to check the weather real quick. And then two hours later, after you've done all that, you're like, what happened to my day here? 
Or maybe you throw on your streaming service of choice and eight hours later realize the day is almost gone. Right? It's so easy to burn through hours of the day on these things and leave little room for building our relationship with Christ. All right, so lest you fear, I'm getting really legalistic on you here. I am not getting legalistic on you here. There is absolutely nothing wrong with your phone. This is an amazing thing that can accomplish incredible things for the kingdom. Come on, you can do amazing things for the kingdom with this tool. So there's nothing wrong with a phone. There's nothing wrong with relaxing at the end of the day to unwind. It's simply, and what this verse is doing, is reminding us of what is most important and simply saying you need to prioritize that first. It's saying don't allow anything to take the place of Christ in your life and hold you back from your calling and your destiny in him. We don't want to allow anything to become a hindrance into what we are called to do. And that is what the last part of the verse is. We are called to run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Right? The Christian life is described here in terms of a race that we are called to run. See, salvation, the day that we accepted Christ, should be viewed as the beginning line of that race and not the finish line. Now, this is the difference between the full gospel that Christ taught, which was the gospel of the kingdom, and what many churches today preach, which is a gospel of salvation. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Do you remember? Oh, man. One person remembered, maybe. All right, that's okay. We'll talk about it again. You don't have to remember everything. It's okay, right? So we talked about this a few weeks ago. There is a difference between the gospel of the kingdom and simply a gospel of salvation, right? A gospel of salvation, it teaches that we're sinners who need to receive Christ so that we can go to heaven someday. Now, that is absolutely true. It's a vital message but it's only one part of the entire gospel message of the kingdom. And what Christ taught was that the gospel and the good news of the kingdom is that in his coming, he brought a superior kingdom with him and we can receive him and be born again, which is our entry into that kingdom. And then we are called to live from that kingdom towards our world, advancing it into our world. Salvation is the starting line of our race, a race that lasts for the rest of our lives. And the problem is that too often, because the gospel is only taught from the perspective of salvation instead of kingdom, many believers view receiving Christ like it's the end of the race. Like, hey, I accepted Jesus. I'm going to heaven someday. I guess I just kind of hold on and try to be good. The true gospel message, however, of the kingdom is that when we receive Christ, it's an entryway into the life of the kingdom. It's the beginning of the race that God has for us. It's the very starting line. You have a race that you have been called to complete. God has specific plans and purposes for your life. It may require some perseverance, some endurance, because God desires us to live a life of meaning and purpose. It will not always be a cakewalk, and there will certainly be some tough times and some battles when we look to advance that kingdom into the world in which we live. And if the worship team wants to prepare and come on up. We are called to run a race. And notice that we are called to run. We are not called to a leisurely stroll, but to run to put in effort. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. It says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? 
run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Dallas Willard once said that grace isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. See, working hard in the kingdom is not opposed to grace, right? We are told to run the race and not just leisurely jog or walk. We are told to run the race in such a way that we can win the prize. See, we are called to give our all to Christ and to live a life that is both faithful and effective. Now, I believe the church has focused a lot of attention through the years on faithfulness. So we must be faithful to God's call. We have to be faithful in our devotionals. We have to be faithful in prayer and Bible reading, faithful to the church. Now, I encourage all of these things because they help you grow. They help you run the race that you're called to. In the coming year, I encourage you to make it a point to read your Bible and pray and spend time with Christ every single day. Not because I'm telling you to, not because it's the Christian thing to do, but because it will help you and it will prepare you and help you run your race. In the coming year, I encourage all of us to make it a priority to be here as part of this body, to check out some of the amazing things happening on Wednesday nights, not because I'm telling you to, or it's the Christian thing to do, but because it will help you grow and run your race. And because you have things to offer to this body. Man, the body is not whole when it's missing its parts. I encourage all of us to be faithful to the call that Christ has put on our lives. But here's where the church hasn't stressed enough. We want to be both faithful and effective. We also want to be effective. Paul says, run in such a way to win the prize. We must be effective. Paul doesn't say, run your race so that you simply finish He doesn't say, run your race, and if you come in last, that's okay. He says, run in such a way as to win the prize. He tells us to do what we need to do so that we can be effective in our race and what God has called us to. Why? Because the stakes are so high. Eternity is on the line with the way that we live our lives. Whether we recognize it or not, the stakes are so high. See, this is about being effective and reaching people for Christ and discipling them and then sending them out and bringing Christ's kingdom to this world. Faithfulness is so important, it really is, but the stakes are too high to not also be as effective as we can possibly be because there's a world waiting for the church to rise up and be all that we have been called to be. There's a church that's just waiting, there's a world that's just waiting for the church to get this down and say, we will be that glorious bride. See, the method never cha- the message never changes, but the methods of proclaiming that message do. It's an interesting phenomenon to me that the church who serves and has a relationship with the most creative being in all of the universe, who's more creative than anything we can fathom, tend to be the ones who are most stuck in their ways. I'm not trying to be judgmental here, but you have denominations that are completely frozen in the past, and then they wonder why they aren't attracting new people. And then the biggest problem is many of those denominations, instead of simply changing their methods, choose to change their message. And they compromise on what the truth of the word is. 
See, we never compromise the truth of God's word, but the ways in which we present it, the ways in which we reach out, the methods we use should always come under scrutiny of whether they are effective in achieving what we set out to do. And if they're not, we should try something else. I would love to instill in the culture of this church that we can try something new, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't mean we failed. It means we simply need to try something else. We don't need to be afraid to try new things. Let's step out and try different things, different methods, different ways of reaching people for Christ. We must run our race effectively because in doing so, we will impact people in this world for Christ. And that is what this is all about. So this morning, church, let's look and see the great heroes of the faith that have come before us. They made a great impact through their faith. We can do the same. Let's just consider this morning, is there anything in our lives that's hindering us, that's trying to entangle us, to hold us back from everything that Christ is calling us to? And if so, let's cast it off this morning. However, here's the thing. The gospel was not just to get us out of the red, but it was to put us into the black. It's not just getting rid of our sin, though that is important. It's living like Jesus and doing what he did. And that is where the empowerment of the Holy Spirit comes in. The verse we looked at from 1 Corinthians 15, we are called to say yes, and then God's grace, his supernatural empowerment comes and helps us to achieve far more than we could ever in our own strength or ingenuity. The power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, supernaturally enabling us to run that race for him. See, that's how we will see this community and this region changed. It's us putting our hands to the work supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need both. God has chosen to use us, and we absolutely need his power. It's not either or, it's both and. See, a year brings so much, so much. I think all of us could look back at the past year and say, there are so many things I would have never expected or anticipated. A year brings so much. So this is a great opportunity now on this first Sunday to make a declaration that we are going to give ourselves to Christ more than we ever have before. As individuals and as a church, we are fully, totally dedicated to him and sold out to his plans and purposes. And if you wanna go ahead and stand. I'm believing 2024 is going to be a year of great advancement of God's kingdom through this church and through each of you. There's some massive dreams that we have for this place. 2023 was an awesome year, such an incredible year. I believe we set a really great foundation. We've been seeing God move and we're positioned and we're pressing in for more in 2024. It's gonna be an awesome year. Get back here next week. We are gonna kick off our sermon series in the book of Acts. Sort of a throwback, right? We're a Pentecostal denomination. Let's just press in and see what it says. I'm excited to really dig in and study how God moved in the early church where you saw just incredible Holy Spirit outpouring. You saw incredible miracles. You saw the kingdom of heaven powerfully advanced into areas of demonic stronghold. You saw cities transformed. Some of those things in Acts are just amazing. It will be a great time in God's word, but what is perhaps most incredible is that when we study Acts, we simply see a picture of what is available for us to walk in as well. Come on. So we are going to study Acts not as a history lesson of things that happened in the past, 
but rather what it is meant to be, the picture of what should be considered the normal Christian life. So make sure you're here next week. Invite some people to join us. Pray any snow away. And we're going to get ready to dive into life-changing truths from God's word. It's going to be an amazing time. So as we end today, let's take a few moments and let's just prepare our hearts at the beginning of this new year. How many people were here last week? How many people loved the fire tunnel? That was so much fun. I had no voice whatsoever when I got home, but it was so much fun. I think we're gonna have to do that a little more often. Just pray over everybody. Just let Holy Spirit come do what he wants to do. Come on, can that just be our declaration for 2024? This isn't my church. This isn't any of the pastor's church. This isn't the board's church. This isn't anybody's church but Christ. And so we are gonna simply just say once again, Jesus, you come do whatever you wanna do in this place. Holy Spirit, you are in charge. You are running the show, not any man. And so we just look to you this morning, Jesus. We thank you. We give you praise and glory and honor for everything that you did in 2023. Father, we saw such wonderful beginnings of what you want to do. And we are so thankful for everything. But Father, we are absolutely desperate for more. We are not satisfied. We are not settling. We are not just saying that it's time to put it in cruise control. We are putting the pedal to the floor. And we are saying, God, we want more in 2024 than what we've ever seen before. And so, Father, I lift up every person here today, those that are watching online. I lift this church up to you. I pray, Father, that you would move in this place in such power. Father, we will not be satisfied until we see the blind eyes open at this altar. Lord, we will not be satisfied until we see the deaf ears open and the lame walk. We will not be satisfied until week after week, we see the broken and the hurting and the dying converted and changed into everything that you desire them to be. Father, we will not be satisfied until this church rises up and goes forth and we see a community changed with the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. And so we call forth each person that's part of this church into their destiny, God. Father, right now, if there be anything in anyone's lives that is hindering them, God. Lord, if there be sin issues that have entangled them, right now, Father, I pray that they would look into your eyes, the eyes of freedom, and I pray that it would set them free, that they would know that they have been set free through Christ and they can walk as you have created them to be blameless and holy in your sight. And so, Lord, right now, break things off. Break things off, Father there be any distractions we've allowed in our lives, God, just reveal those things so that we can turn our eyes completely to you. Father, I pray that we would run our race. We would run it, Lord Jesus, and we would run it well. We pray, God, that you would make a great kingdom impact through Bethel Assembly of God in the days to come. We love you, Lord Jesus. You are so awesome. You are so amazing. You are so good. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, can I have some of my uh, prayer team just kind of come on up? If you want to come across the front. If you are here this morning and you need prayer for anything, sickness in your body, pain in your body, anything else that's going on, we have some amazing people here that would just love to pray with you. 
you just want to say, man, I want more of Jesus at the beginning of a new year, you can come on up and they will pray with you, pray over you. We would love and be honored to just pray with you this morning. Quick reminder, this is a week of prayer. So each night, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we are going to be gathering together to seek after the Lord's faith, a face, a time of worship, a time of intercession. We're meeting tonight at 6, and then Monday through Wednesday, we'll meet at 7. I'd love to encourage you all to just come out and be part of that, to just press in and let's hear God's voice in such a fresh, fresh way for this year. I better stop because I can't talk anymore for some reason here. So, uh, Bethel, I love you all so much. Thank everybody that serves at this church, everybody that's going to serve in any way in this year. It's going to be an amazing year. Come on, how many people, you just have this great anticipation inside of you that God has something incredible that he wants to do in this coming year. So let's just press into that. So I just love you all so much. The worship team is going to go ahead and just play. You can stay here and worship for a bit. If you need prayer, come on up. If not, I wish you Happy New Year once again. Love you all so much. Have just a wonderful week. I hope to see you in prayer this week. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.